Chapter Nine of the Master Girl: A Romance by Ashton Hilliers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Homecoming. It was evening. The men of the Sundisk clan had returned from their hunting and fishing. The women and children were squatted about the fires. A clear, peculiar outcry broke from the girl in the treetop, the watchwoman. Just such a cry comes from the sentinel bird of a flock of feeding wild fowl. The whole community was upon its feet in a moment, peering under arched hands. Afar off, against the yellow side of a dry gully of the foothills which arose between the last of the chestnut forest and the first of the spruce, were to be descried a couple of moving specks. They, whoever they might be, were miles away, made visible for a moment by the chance of their crossing a bare rock face, which had caught the last of the sunlight, thrown up distinctly against this ruddy yellow background, and defined by the magical clearness of an open sunset following a day of rain. The braves handled their assegais, awaiting the word of the old chief, a ringman who had taken his first scalp forty years before, and wore the necklace of five bear's claws, which testified to participation in a later and yet sterner fight. He gave no order, and kept his eyes upon the moving specks. These had dipped into a hollow. "'They have seen our smokes,' said he. "'If they are friends, they will come right on. If they are unfriends, they will not show again, and the young men must deal with them to-night.' "'Who but unfriends would come from that side?' asked a very tall young brave. There was a touch of covert insolence in the tone, although the question was natural enough. The speaker was a person of some consideration, for when he spoke, others held their peace and listened, watching still, be sure. He was one Honk Ha, a great nephew of the old chief, a man of notable activity and more ambition, one who aspired to the deputy chieftainship, an aspiration which had been kept in check for two years past, by the presence of his cousin Pulyun, a brave equally active and more popular, less subject to fits of disfiguring passion, a man marked out for leadership as well by his birth, being grandson to the chief regnant, as also by his qualities. But Pulyun had been absent more than six moons, and during the past winter, as the old chief grew stiffer with rheumatism, which is the worst evil of the northern savage, more dreaded than most forms of death, this youngster had waxed insolent at times. Each recurring attack of lumbago might be the last, the one which would tie the old leader into his final knot, reducing him to a helpless, querulous cripple, and leaving the chieftainship open to the bravest and strongest man of his race. The chief ignored the question. He was at gaze. Yes, the strangers had come into view again, were holding a right line towards the camp smokes. There was no affectation of concealment, no ruse. Who might they be? Said the sentinel girl at length. These are two braves, for they go side by side at times. One is shorter than the other by a head. Both are carrying something. Spears, I think, and other things. Robes. Said the old chief's head wife in the spirit of prophecy. It is my grandson. 
and the small one the other asked hong ha raising a doubt which no one was as yet in a position to allay there is but little twilight south of the alps it was in a thick green dusk that the all but given up pulyun strode back into camp with his shorter companion going beside him as an equal and a friend goes no man of their tribe this who then a slave no a squaw the two stepping out strongly they had kept a trot for the avenue made straight for the tepee of the old chief and saluted the father of the tribe before exchanging a word with any they also saluted the head wife some word of petition and consent passed in dumb show the skin that hung over the entrance was shifted in they went and the show was over but not the talk it has been said that the old english manorial system assumed that every person in the village was intimately acquainted with the habits business and doings of every other person in the village one might assume the same of villagers to-day with but little injustice this rule held among those earlier communities from which the medieval englishman was remotely descended everybody was enormously and unblushingly inquisitive why should he not be when his body was satisfied he had nothing else to think about save the goings-on of his comrades hence he and she knew to a nicety the precise distance which so-and-so could jump or swim or throw knew the last least intimate facts about the bodies and minds the personal peculiarities and habits of each and of all the tribe for and bear this in mind ye who travel in tubes and have the day mapped out and guarded for you ignorance of some small particular might at any moment cost life itself your savage is incessantly hunting and being hunted at any moment in his day his dinner may jump up in front of him and run away at any moment a huge tawny cat may claim him for her meal at any moment he may find a spear sticking in the calf of his leg such possibilities are calculated to develop the faculty of attention from his childhood up he is trained by the hard facts of his life to be as observant as a magpie and as pertinaciously inquisitive as a dog and this methinks is the place to introduce and i durst an excursus upon the decay of curiosity a fine and tempting subject there can be no sort of doubt that this is one of the vanishing instincts the senses of locality and smell are others the adult male european has very little curiosity if of a fairly good stock and breeding none at all his wife her maid and the children of both sexes have traces of the faculty more or less pronounced as being some degrees nearer to the savage i prithee madam thump me not i speak but the naked truth if the antique instinct reappears at intervals as in spy manias dreyfus obsessions and what not in modern france it is less terrible than in that recent past which saw their law of suspects and our popish plot and earlier witch-baitings across the atlantic the defect is less noticeable indeed one of the less endearing characteristics of cousin jonathan is that insatiable and unabashed curiosity 
which, whether it make for righteousness or no, is the making of the yellow press. With us English, the primeval safeguard has almost lapsed. We pride ourselves upon an incurious optimism, the outcome of urban surroundings and long internal peace. Are they yelling murder next door? Let them yell, tis no affair of ours. It doesn't do to interfere. Leave it to the police. We have fifty little apothems to excuse our cowardice or sloth. It has come to this, that every time we find ourselves at war, we are still somewhat pugnacious. It takes the average man of us from six to twelve months to get himself back into the sensitively apprehensive, warily cautious skin of his forefather, to whom a condition of warfare was normal, who carried a weapon as we carry an umbrella, and distrusted every bush. Some of His Majesty's forces never do regain a reasonable and saving curiosity. Middle-aged general officers, especially those who have hung about Windsor and done much reviewing, practically never. This sort go into action wearing white plumes and insist upon being followed by a mounted orderly with a red and white guidon upon his lance. These are they who throw six shells at a wooded height at five miles range and pronounce it unoccupied, who excuse outpost duty on Christmas Eve as a treat to the men, who reduce their superiors to despair, their subordinates to stupor, the operations to a standstill, and who, when sent home as incapable, arouse society in the houses upon their noble behalves, and assure the smoking-rooms of the clubs that the service is going to the deuce. Many a town-bred private is in his own way as deficient. He makes haste to lose his regiment upon the march, also himself. Then, if it be night, in place of effacing himself and using his wits and his ears, he will strike a match, and the better to advertise his presence, sings for company, being a secret believer in things in the dark, but an arrant agnostic, as the enemy being anywheres about. Thus poor Tommy knows not that doom hath gone forth until he finds himself being held down and vivisected by the Afridi knife, or, with better luck, stripped of every rag that covers him by a Dutchman, all of which makes most unpleasant reading. But, I put it to you, is it not true? Agreed, then, we have pretty well parted with the acute and rational curiosity which was the first armour of our race. But the sun-disc folk had it in a highly specialised form, and by the time that that deerskin portier had ceased swinging behind the newcomers, had noticed much, and had actually deduced a good deal of the recent histories of Pulyun and his companion, from a stick here and a bundle there, a limp and a side-glance, momentary impressions in the dusk. "'He goes short upon his left leg, and it is no strain,' said Honkar. "'He has not gone short of meat. See how heavy he is. Whoever saw a brave come home from a winter hunting, or a wife hunting in such case? La! We were worn away to sinew and bone at our last war-party. But he,' said an older man, a man of experience, with appropriate gesture. "'But he squaw!' said the women, to let the thing walk beside him, and to hold her head up so. Why, when my man brought me into camp, 
my hands were tied behind my back and mine said another and my head was broken too for my man stands no nonsense i tell you a broken head laughed a third it was nigh a broken back in my case i mind me he laded me down with every single thing he owned and strutted before me like a blackcock in lecking time oh but wasn't i proud of him fine and mannish he looked when i could get a peep at him for my head was bent to my knees with my load and the sweat was running into my eyes i tell you ha the speaker laughed at the remembrance just as a prefect chuckles over the lammings he took when a fag eh but what in the world will this mean cried altogether he has divided the loads and she was carrying what it can never be a bearskin the thing is plainly impossible and look at those silly bags of little feather-ended sticks and the long ash sticks what foolishness is this the young chief is no fool they walked well anyhow pride mere pride they were ready to drop could not ye see as much think that they are in full winter dress heavy deerskin leggings and carosses and all tis plain they have come from high up somewhere not over the pass that is impossible for another three moons yet they will have felt the heat cruelly all day a likely-looking girl a little moon-girl by her gait and colour but where can he have picked her up and where has he been all this while a brave can't live upon snow and he has lived well and upon an enemy's ground wah pulyun is a wise man in some ways but a fool in others he must be mad to set so much by an unproved squaw he has had six months of her in my view said an old woman and right or wrong pulyun ever knew his own mind she has bewitched him he is mad mad muttered honkar morosely who saw his deputy chieftainship slipping through his fingers after seeming safely in hand the man was not a politic man from the modern standpoint he was but a youth he was a jealous fellow and wont to strike first it seemed to him that this was his opportunity he loafed around talking to those whom he believed to be in his interest in undertones at first then more loudly who is she a little moon but that story will not do for there are none of that tribe on this side of the ranges and he cannot have passed the ranges this spring where has pulyun been this was mystery the first an offence in itself in a community which has the right to know the most intimate facts of the life of each of its members mystery breeds suspicion and suspicion leads up to distrust and to hate but in the heart of honkar hate was already full grown there is something here that the tribe should know he spoke aloud and his voice carried far it seems to us that the sun folk should be told and told this night where a brave has been harbouring who has been away and on an enemy's grounds for six moons also said a young blood who was of honkar's hunting party we would see more of this squaw whom he brings into camp or who brings him a laugh our brother pulyun went forth for a wife the word had the secondary meaning of female slave but has come back with a master more laughter the silence within the old chief's tepee was unbroken for a while and when the hanging portiere moved 
it was shifted with the utmost deliberation the old chief himself came forth followed by pulyun the elder spoke my young men are noisy to-night it is not good my grandson has brought home a wife he has done well i say it is my nephew's heart black because he has no wife the passes were open last autumn for him as for my grandson let him make his heart white or go forth upon his wife hunting so soon as he chooses the passes are not open interposed honkar insolently the passes are open to a brave with a big heart or for the matter of that to a brave with a squaw's heart riposted the old chief severely my grandson crossed yesterday his wife crossed with him there was silence an astounded silence honkar felt himself slipping he must make a push for it he spoke we do not believe he began but the old chief cut him short i believe and that is enough for my people and listen to me honkar and you who side with him for i know what is in your hearts this thing shall come to a head it shall cease and at once my grandson pulyun was war-chief when he went forth is he weaker or less brave or less cunning since he has returned there were mutterings in the darkness pulyun stepped to the front and spoke very gently he spoke but they knew him it is two years since i beat my cousin at the spear-throwing it has always been the law that one trial is enough the tribe cannot be always changing its war-chief but i will put the law out of the question for once for it is not well that the sun-folk should be under a war-chief who is weak of hand or whom they think is weak of hand the matter shall be retried at sunrise to-morrow as soon as there is full light let honkar be ready with his spears and i will be ready with mine and the man of us two who can throw farthest and make his point go deepest he shall be war-chief i have said it is good assented honkar who had got what he was playing up for an early trial the deerskin shook the old chief and pulyun had returned to the tepee the knot of mutineers moved slowly off conversing in muttered undertones that is a point to me said honkar he is fat he is slow he was sweating as he marched in i saw it and he carried no spears i know every assegai of mine by name and they know me to-morrow i win End of chapter nine